Well, thank you, Randy. Good morning, Church at the Red Door family. Uh, we continue our uh, my office. This is my office. You're right in the middle of it. This is where it all happens. Uh, you can't see it. It's just out of the picture, but I've got little kind of workout equipment and a little chair over here, and this is uh, this is where, uh, you know, I think I was thinking about this this week. Uh, this is where I, right here, is where I am down on my knees praying for my family, our collective family, uh, the gospel, the kingdom. Uh, I spend a lot of time just right, right here on my knees uh, searching, trying to search God's heart for what he has for us as a church family. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's significant to me that I'm here and we're able to use this kind of technology even as long as we have uh, to, to continue to try to connect. I know it's difficult. Uh, many of you uh, feel isolated and, and those things. I just want you to know we are praying for you. We think of you often. Uh, we cannot wait to be back together. So uh, anyway, I want to talk to you a little bit today about in the next few weeks a little bit about the heart and we've it's come up it obviously comes up it's the it's the essence of the gospel narrative is the transformed heart we're going to talk a little bit about the heart uh, this week let me again open us in prayer father i thank you for this time with our family i thank you lord that you are you're good and you're gracious and your intentions toward us are good Father, even when we're faithless, you are faithful. You're the creator of all things, Lord. We live in a culture that distances itself from you, even fails to acknowledge your existence. And yet we come together this morning uh, acknowledging, not only acknowledging your existence, but acknowledging your uh, personal love and concern and care for your creation. And Lord, we worship you this morning. We ask that you be with us today. Be with us. Speak to our hearts as we discuss your, uh, your ideas, your uh, understanding, your deep knowledge of our heart. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide us into your word, impact us, change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so uh, hey, uh, just a last little thing. I was uh, with a few of you this last week, it was good to reconnect in some ways. I was in Montana, as I alluded to, in the midst of this week. And uh, and I, again, appreciate the Bryants and the Sissons and those that kind of came around and helped that happen. We got to see a few people that came down from other parts of Montana. Uh, it was sure good to, to see all of you, the Blevins and uh, Wendy and Brian, and it was just great. It was a great time to be together, uh, even though it was a short time, but uh, I, I didn't want to brag, but Gary had the audacity to take me out fishing one day, and so we went out one day and fished, and, and uh, I will not brag that I outfished him. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Gary's an expert fisherman, but it was just it was so good to be connected, to see people face-to-face. Montana is a little bit different than we are here in California. Uh, they were wearing masks and things, and we certainly followed that protocol, but it was just good to see family. It was good to see family. So uh, thank you again for that. So anyway, here we go. You ready? All right. Grab your Bibles. Get your coffee ready. Uh, We're going deep. Uh, Over these next few weeks, we're going to get into the heart. You know, I've been thinking about this whole heart concept 
Uh, I grew up, many of you know, I grew up, most of my upbringing all the way through college at Rice was in Texas. So even though I'm not much of a country and Western fan, I mean, I can listen to it, but I, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan. Uh, but I heard a lot, uh, a lot of lyrics about hearts, uh, broken hearts, crushed hearts, hearts on fire, all these kinds of things. And in fact, I learned through the beautiful cultural uh, uh, insights that we get from country and Western music, I learned that you could, uh, your, art, your heart could ache and it could break. And this they call the achy, breaky heart. All right, so uh, this is, these are things that I've learned uh, growing up in Texas and many more. Uh, but look, the, everybody talks about the heart. The question, of course, becomes, what is it? And that's what we want to get into. Not just the, uh, the physical organ of our heart, but what is it analogously? What, what is God trying to say when he talks about our heart and the condition of our heart? So uh, this last week, we had an elders meeting, and one of our elders, who I won't mention, Steve Boylan, uh, mentioned that this heart thing, this mind thing, he didn't trust. We, we have some big decisions in front of us as we continue to kind of grapple with some issues. He said, I just don't quite trust my mind. And when he's saying mind, he's also kind of saying heart, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. He really didn't trust his own instincts, his feelings on things, and then he he quoted Proverbs, and I want to do that now. Proverbs three five through eight, and this is where we're going to lay a little foundation. It says, "Trust in the Lord with all of your heart." Now in Hebrew, that word heart is lab, and I'll define that a little bit more uh, as we get into this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean, don't lean, don't get back and just lean on. Uh, this is not your support. Don't lean on your own understanding. Now, you got to understand that is just uh, the opposite of what the world says. And we'll, again, talk about that in a minute as well. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So there's uh, there's an acknowledgement, not only of what we're doing right now. We're acknowledging God by saying, okay, God, what do you say about my heart? What are your thoughts about who I am, my, my center, my innermost being, my thoughts, my emotions, my, uh, the very center of who I am? What do you say about that? As opposed to what does the world say? So acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Don't be wise. Don't be wise in your own eyes. As you, as you look at yourself, we've talked about self-evaluation. We've talked about judging ourselves rightly, as Paul said. Uh, don't be wise in your own eyes. In other words, just don't trust your immediate sense of things. Fear the Lord. In other words, focus on Him, acknowledge Him, and turn away from evil. And then we get this picture. It's going to be healing, healing to your body, and it's going to be refreshment to your bones. So we get this beautiful picture that if we'll trust in Him, acknowledge Him, pay attention to what He says about reality, it's going to be refreshing and healing. And the opposite would be true. And if we don't acknowledge him and we, we do what's instinctive to us and we pay attention to what our general thoughts are and, and just kind of trust your inner voice and all those kinds of things, then all of a sudden uh, we can find ourselves, as we'll see in a minute in Jeremiah, in stony waste places, stony wilderness places. And again, all this is metaphor, but 
I think we can all admit that we, we feel these moments in time. We feel how we're out in a very dry and, and barren place, spiritually speaking. And the Lord's saying, acknowledge me. Trust in me with all, all of your heart. All of your heart. So the question, of course, is, the question is why? Why do we need to do this? You know, uh, Steve Jobs, who passed away a number of years back, the founder of Apple, and I, I think we could all admit that in many ways, uh, Steve Jobs was part of the revolution, if not the, the very central part of really a transformation of the way we communicate and the way we, you know, from social media and all these things. And, and we could, boy, we could spend hours talking about both the benefits and the drawbacks of that. But Steve Jobs was a cultural icon. And this is what he said about the heart. He said, uh, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Now, there is a truth in that. We don't want to just live someone else's life. God has a particular plan for each of us, and we need to listen to his voice. So there's a truth in what he says here. But then he gets a little off track. He says, don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the result of other people's thinking. Uh, a lot of people think this is just dogma. You know, there's just, and, and in some ways it is. We feel very passionately about what God says. But he says, don't live just with dogma. Don't let the noise of other people's opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and your intuition. Now, I'm not suggesting that uh, we don't have a conscience and that there are moments uh, that we can listen to that conscience. But there is a, uh, there's a, our culture is screaming, listen to that inner voice, that, that listen to your heart. Go with how you feel. We, we hear that all the time, and it's built into our psyche. And then we come to places like this in the Bible, and it just throws water over all of that thinking and says, don't trust yourself. And a lot of people turn away from the Bible. They think this is, you know, this is those crazy, right-wing, fanatical evangelicals always, you know, dumping on our party, always just absolutely moving away from anything that's going to be life-giving and joy and always trying to just throw water on this party. And, and, and we hate that. We don't want to listen to that. And I got to tell you, if there wasn't good news on the other side of the bad news, then I would agree with that. I'd say, look, listen to your inner voice, go with it. But people listen to their inner voice all the time. And I, I know this is an extreme example, but uh, there are all kinds of mass murders that will tell you there was an inner voice. They were hearing something speak to them on the inside to kill and to do that. And, and all that, you see all that all the time. And people say, I was just caught up by how I felt, uh, my feelings and, and murder and theft and all these kind of things happen as a result of listening to the inner voice. Now, as we'll see in weeks to come, uh, as we become, as we get a new heart, and we'll talk about that through the gospel, through, the, through, through this interaction that we have with Jesus and through the new birth, then we can begin to listen to an inner voice, but we'll always have a battle and we'll get into that as well. So uh, what I'd like to do now is I'm going to turn to our uh, beloved couple, Pete and B. Dine, and I'm going to ask them if they would read from Jeremiah. You know, and I've, this has been on my heart the last couple of weeks, uh, especially just, I don't know, this Jeremiah 17 has just been 
filtering through my mind. And then we had this elder meeting and Steve made that comment. And, I, and usually when that happens, I feel like, well, Lord, what are you trying to speak to me on a personal basis? And is this something you want to share with our family, our broader family? And I think so. So I'm going to have Pete and B read from Jeremiah 17. They're going to read verse 1. And then they're going to read 5 through 10. I'm not skipping verses for any, I just don't have time to unpack 2 through 4. You can go back and read it for yourself and get a little bit more context. Obviously, the context is going to be Israel in general. But here, here Pete and B, if you take it away and read these verses, it's so good. Uh, let me just tell you, before we do, Pete has done an extraordinary job, along with our whole teams, uh, to be able to continuously bring you, and I think an upgraded product over what we started with each week. They they make great strides to bring this to you. And so, Pete, thank you for that. And now if you and B would read Jeremiah 17. Thanks, Jeff. Good morning, Church at the Red Door. I'm Pete Dine. And I'm B Dine. We've been part of the church family since the beginning. Finding CRD was a breath of fresh air. B has been my soulmate now for 52 years, and we both accepted Christ back in 1987. A partnership with our Lord and Savior was the completion of our love for Him and each other. From our house, each week we broadcast the Word of God, which is a great privilege. Our AV team has worked behind the scenes now for more than six months, an awesome group of folks, and we'd like to thank them for their dedication, their commitment, desire to bring worship, and the Word of God to you all remotely every week. During this difficult time, we have not doubted the circumstances. We know that our God is at work. B will now read from Jeremiah 17, which will start in verse 1, and then verses 5 through 10. The sin of Judah is written down with an iron stylus. With a diamond point it is engraved upon the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. Now we go to verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes but its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all these and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Back to you, Pastor Jeff. Well, thank you, uh, Pete and B. I appreciate that so much. Uh, this is a tough passage. This was uh, this is challenging uh, beyond our. I mean, this really flies right in the face of everything our culture is screaming, as I alluded to earlier. I think what's clear as we read Jeremiah's uh, 
words here, God's words through the prophet Jeremiah, is that our hearts are are ill. Uh, we are prone to illness, and even after the new birth, we are we have this dual nature, and our hearts we we need to be cautious about just listening to our emotions and our inner voice all the time. We can get radically off track. It's one of the very purposes for why we come together weekly. Uh, even daily, a lot of you connect in many different ways among the family so that we can keep lifting up, lifting up and acknowledging God's ways. I mean, it's one of the reasons that God instituted this, you know, the Sabbath to try to just get a cyclicality that works in our life to constantly, because the world's pulling our hearts in every different direction, and we know we are prone to wonder, and that's why Jesus called us a bunch of sheep. You know, Proverbs 4, I was uh, talking to this a little bit with a group of men this week, but Proverbs 4.23 simply says, Watch over your hearts. Watch over them with all diligence, knowing that from them flow the springs of life. We have got to watch over our center. We have to, because it's out of that center that flows everything, everything that we are exposed to, everything that we're engaged in, the, the patterns of thinking that we have, the way that we treat our spouses, the way that we view work and leisure and money and everything, everything that relates to de daily decisions, those thousands of different decisions that you make daily, some very small, some, we've talked about this, uh, very tiny little fractions of decisions and just moments, and you're not even necessarily conscious of these of these decisions you're making, it's flowing from a place in the core of who you are. And this is why it's so important to watch over our center. Watch over. Make sure you're acknowledging. You're acknowledging God and His ways and His word and what He says about you. And, and then obviously how much He loves you and how much He cares for you and how He views our time, our brief time, on this little puny planet. And how are you gonna think about that? How are you gonna, well, it's gonna flow from your heart like springs. Imagine, you know, and again, Jesus picks up on this language in the New Testament. If you'll drink this water, being him, and bring it down into you, you'll, you'll not only be filled, but rivers of living water will flow out of you. This is the springs, the springs that, that come forth from your heart when your sinner is centered properly on the creator of the universe and what he says about reality is just going to bring fruitfulness and greenery and, and you won't be in those barren waste places. That's consistently what God says about our hearts. Okay, so let's let's go ahead and define. Let's we're gonna go look at both because we're gonna be looked dealing with the New Testament, which we, we read in Greek. There's a little bit of Aramaic involved there. And we're going to be reading the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew. Just so if you're new to your Bibles, and why is it important to go back? Well, you know, I could just tell you this, but I think it's important that, that you see some of these definitions in their original language. So as I alluded to earlier, in Hebrew, uh, we have this Hebrew word lab uh, or lebab, which is uh, both referring to the heart. And here's the definition in Hebrew of what heart means, as opposed to just a physical organ that pumps blood through your body. It's a picture of something that's given us insight. It's not talking about that physical organ, although there's some you know, analogous things with that, and that life comes from your heart, etc. But, catch this, it's really just the inner man. 
It's your, it's your mind. It's your mind. It's your intellect. It's your will. It's your volitional will. It's your understanding of things and how you view things. It's your memory. I mean, our memories can be vastly different. You can have two people that engage in the same activity and they walk away and their memories are radically different. A lot of that is based in the heart. So your memory is a function of your heart. How you reflect on things in life, uh, how you view things, the, the metrics, the filters, that the matrix that you see life through uh, is a function of your heart. And at the end, uh, it's simply the, the, the midst of you, the center of something. That's your heart, the center of who you are. You know, so uh, I, I think we all have relationships and we think about somebody and then we think, well, immediately, what's the first word that pops, or words or sentence or even a paragraph that pops into your mind about that person? Typically, if you've had some ability to actually give a credible evaluation of somebody, You'll be able to give just a few sentences or maybe just a few defining words and you will define and you'll really probably pretty accurately get to their heart. Not the totality of who they are. And I understand, look, we're complex individuals. There are a lot of facets to who we are as, because we're created in the image of God. But I've got to tell you, it's pretty easy to begin to, as once you understand how the heart operates in the center, you can pick things up. You can pick up, uh, I think about the Seinfeld, you know, that show that ran for so many years, Jerry Seinfeld in the cast. You just pick up, pick up a few things about those characters. You know, Jerry Seinfeld always just kind of, he's a protagonist. He's always kind of uh, mocking things and making jokes and, and pretty self-centered. You have Elaine that's kind of just crazy and, and always trying to, you know, look for that love romantic relationship and she's a little harried and, and she's funny and she's insightful, but she's also, she's quick, uh, quick wit. And you think about Kramer, he's just absolutely honest uh, as he sees reality and he speaks. He has no diplomacy, no tact, no anything, and yet he's kind of a lovable guy. And then you think of George Costanza and just in a few lines, you can, you can pick up. He's, he's self-centered, he's, he's stingy, he's not generous. Uh, I mean, he's just, uh, he's, he's probably the least likable character, uh, and yet you put them all together, it's hilarious. But you can really see through, and you can really get to the center of each of those characters and seem to see what drives them, what, what everything flows through. The, the, the flowing of the springs of life all filter through their hearts. Look, if you're, if you're an ungenerous person, you're probably not going to have a lot of close relationships. It doesn't take long to be around somebody and they, they never pick up the check. They never do anything. They're never giving. And you wonder, well, why don't I have any friends? Well, there, there's something working through your heart. You have a fear of lack or you just, you know, whatever it is, it, everything flows through that center part of you and those defining characteristics Strangely enough, people can pick up pretty quickly. Now, obviously, God knows our heart, so that's easy for him. And he tests us to see what's in our heart. He knows, but it helps us begin to see what's in our hearts. And that's why a community, a biblically-based, sound, functional, you know, culture of honor, gospel-centric community can help us see our, a transformation uh, from old heart to new heart, and we'll, we'll talk about the promises of God to give us a new heart. So uh, that's important. Now, now let's go to the Greek. 
Uh, the Greek word here is cardia. That's where we get our word cardiac, obviously. Uh, in fact, my, my middle daughter, Tatum, she, she recently got a job at Eisenhower, and she's working in the cardiology department. Uh, okay, and so that's what the cardia is the Greek here. And let me just find heart when we transfer into the New Testament, same word. But again, it's the, the soul and the mind. Now, this gets a little complicated because the soul and the heart, are, are they different? Are they the same? There are some distinctions, but generally speaking, it's the center of you. It's you. You are a soul. You have a spirit, but you are a soul. It's the self. Again, it's your mind. It's the way you think. It's the seed of your desires. It's the appetites and the passions and the affections. It's your intelligence. And again, I catch this. It's the middle of something. It's the, just like in Hebrew, lab. It's the middle. It's the center. It's, it's the essence of who you are. It's how you filter information. So the heart, in simple terms, is the governing response. Now catch this. It's the governing response to everything that's coming at us. We filter everything through the heart. If we don't watch over it, the springs of life will come out and they'll be distorted. So if we're not a generous person, it'll, it'll distort everything. The way we view reality will be everything. If we're fearful, uh, if our emotions constantly are in a protective mode, it will affect everything. It'll affect our relationships. It'll affect our marriage, the way we raise our kids. Uh, if, we're, if we're covetous, if, we're, uh, if we have sexual addiction and we view everything through, uh, through this romantic love or this sexual appetite or, or some of these passions, everything will be distorted. It's like light working through and it, and it goes through and then it's distorted and it's scattered. And these are the springs of life. And all of us have, as, as Jeremiah was so clear, there's deceit in our heart. Who can know it? The heart is deceptively, deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Well, God knows it, and he wants us to begin to acknowledge what he says about our human heart so that we can be transformed, so that substantive change can happen. But if you start off the wrong platform, and you start with, I'm basically just a good person and my heart's intentions are good. You know, we can go back to Genesis chapter 6 and, and 8 as well. And we can see that by the, the, the flood and the whole purpose for that, God looks down on the world and he says, the thoughts and the intentions of their heart, every bit of them were evil. They were constantly turned toward evil. Now, did that mean nothing good happened? There was no mother loving a child or someone sharing their food? No, but generally God was saying the heart condition of humanity is so bad that I have to intervene, and he did. And, and that's where we get Genesis 6 and, and Noah and the whole story. So the thoughts and the intentions of the heart are continuously evil in our fallen state. Again, that doesn't mean we don't have the capacity to do good things, but we have a bent towards evil. So as we see this, it, it, look, let me, let me just say this. I think this becomes radically apparent to us when we look at the parable of the sower. Okay, the parable of the sower. Again, we're going to get a picture, we're going to get an agrarian picture. We're going we're gonna to look at this, uh, this picture where we say, okay, you know, here's fruitfulness and growth and, and life-giving things. You know, uh, again, we get back to this, this metaphor of stony waste places 
or we get places that flourish and and like the Garden of Eden, and we get this, we get this beautiful language. God's always given us an alternative. Your heart's going to take you into barren places. Your heart, your bent, your sinner is going to take you into barren places. But if you'll receive my word and you'll acknowledge me and trust in me, I'm going to move you into places that are flourishing and beautiful. Again, and I've I've used this example before, but uh, there's something in me that loves a river. I mean, I just love a river. I just, I want to be around a river. I, I have a dream. I tell Laura about it all the time. I said, someday I would love to have a little, I don't care if it's a one bedroom, nothing on a river in the Rocky Mountains. I want something close to water. And then there's a spiritual analog to that. God's saying you should want to be close to the river and the river is me. I am the water. I am the living water. I mean, I love the sight uh, of a river. I love the sound at night. I love to open the windows. And uh, we used to stay. And I just want to say, uh, I lost my precious friend, Mr. Gerald Hines, a, a developer out of Houston this last week at, at age 95. I've been really saddened this week. Uh, Laura and the girls and I used to go. Uh, I worked in Aspen for years. And we'd go to Aspen. And even after I left the Maroon Creek Club, and we would stay with them two or three weeks. He'd invite the whole family. And we'd stay right there. We'd open up the windows at night and they were right on the Roaring Fork River that runs through Aspen. And we would listen to that. And and growing up on vacations, we'd stay in little cabins by the river. And it's so deeply embedded in me. And there is a beautiful spiritual metaphor for that. And that is stay close to me, acknowledge me. I'm the river and then you'll flourish. And, and as I've said, as we've driven through the years and you can you can always tell where a river is. You can be you can be kind of a deserty place, and then all of a sudden you get these beautiful trees. You can't see the river, but you know that they're growing up in and around the river. So that's what God is saying. I'm the river, and get close to me, and you will flourish. If you don't acknowledge me, and you wander off and do your own thing, believing that your heart can lead you and your emotions and your passions, then you're going to struggle. You're going to find yourself in stony waste places of sin. Don't trust your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and you will flourish. Your paths will be straight. You'll be, in a sense, living by the river. So I think it's important now, and we'll kind of close with this this morning. I want to get into the parable, the parable of the sower. Now, many of you know this well. Mark 4 says, if you can't understand this parable, as you've heard me, many of you have heard me teach, if you can't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the parables Jesus said? In Luke 8, we get a, a, we get a little insight. And I'm going to read this because it has direct relevance for us to understand the center, the heart of people who cannot have any sustainable interaction with Jesus in the gospel. They get near it. They get close to it. They touch it. They may come to church. They may get close, but their center drifts. They drift away. They, they move away, and you, can, and you can see it, and you become more adept at this. After many decades of ministry now, I, I can start to spot these things early on. I'm not, I'm not trying to be anybody's judge in any way, but there are some very indicating factors that says that person's sinner has not been transformed yet. That person doesn't have a new heart. They're close. They're around it, but they're, they're not quite getting it. Now, listen to the language, which includes language about the heart. So Luke chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 4 through 15. It says, when a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying journeying to him, that's Jesus, he spoke by way of a parable. 
the sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as it soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Here we get again a picture of moisture. It says, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it, and it choked it out. And other seed fell into good soil, and some grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out. And again, I can imagine Jesus calling out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I, think about this. You think this crowd, you looked over and, well, we all have ears, but that poor guy was born with no ears. I, Jesus is using figurative language here. What is it about ears that can't hear? That they hear the exact words. There may be some somebody that just comes across this online, maybe three years from now. And, and you're listening to this and he says, this is, well, it kind of makes sense and, but in some ways, but they, they just don't have ears to hear it. And that's what Jesus is saying. He calls it out. He's yelling to the crowds, if you've got ears to hear this, then listen to this. Now, his disciples began, verse 9, questioning him as to what this parable could possibly mean. Remember what a parable is, by the way. It's something that comes alongside a spiritual reality to give insight into it. We can't see into the unseen realm. The parables are, again, necessary to expose for us spiritual reality when we can't see it. So they use a metaphor or some analogy, and this is what's being used here. He says, he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom, talking to his disciples, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Why can they see? They can see Jesus. They see his mouth move. Uh, they can hear things audibly. They hear the same words that the disciples were hearing. But something's happening here. Some, some people are comprehending it and then necessarily acting on it. And then others just don't ever quite connect. Well, Jesus is going to explain it. Verse 11. He says, now the parable is this. The, the seed, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road. Okay, so think about it. Analogously, he says the seed that the, the sower is throwing, it's this. It's what God is saying about the human condition, about his reality, about his kingdom. And he's exposing the little satanic uh, momentary kingdom down here, the ruler of this world, the Bible says. He's exposing it for what it is and that we're part of it in nature and that he's now giving us an out. And, and he's, he's explaining this. This is the seed. It's the message, the totality of the message of the gospel. He said, those beside the road are those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their, from their heart, from their cardia. He takes it away. He takes it away from the center of them. In other words, they were their center was not able to hear it because Satan stole it away. Now, that's also a condition of the heart. It's not just Satan's activities, but it, the heart was not allowing penetration so that they will not believe and be saved. Now, those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in, and in time, temptation, of temptation, they, they fall away. So what's happening here? Well, their sinner is not allowing it. Temptation comes, it, 
it penetrates a little bit, but then it's it's gone. It, it, the heart, the center, the, the their passions, their emotions, their desires, their appetites just wouldn't allow the seed to penetrate. Now, let me just say, this is not all just based on us. This is the sovereign work of grace of the Holy Spirit that God does in those, again, that he's predestined to be saved. And I don't have time to get in this, but we've got to understand we both have a task at hand and we trust that God is sovereignly saving us. So there's nobody taking credit. Well, I've got a good heart and it's it's good soil. And yet Jesus told these parables. So it's both, it's both. I don't have time to get into that right now, but just to understand that there's culpability on our parts, but it's also the graceful work of God in the midst of our own stony hearts, all of us. He said, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Now, do you think that's a heart issue? Of course it is. What do we learn about the heart? What do we learn about the cardia or the labe? It's the center. It's, it's the seat the seat of emotions and passions and appetites and desires. I gotta have it, I gotta have it. If I don't have that, I'll never be happy. I, I must have this. If I don't have this lifestyle, this way, this, this, this food, this house, this not just materialism, but just a whole power structure or whatever it is that our appetites drive us to, it can absolutely choke it out and it cannot bear any fruit. It's a heart condition. He says, but the seed in the good soil, now catch this, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. Okay, so Jesus' words here, these are the ones that somehow God does the preparation of, of our hearts and then our hearts grab onto it. We have ears to hear. Our sinner is somehow moved away enough from our appetites that this overpowers our appetites and, and it's good soil. And then what happens? Well, they hold it fast, there's sustainability, and then they bear fruit with perseverance. It doesn't get any easier. Now notice, I love the end part of that. They bear fruit with perseverance. In other words, there's sustainability there. A heart that is being watched over. A heart that, you know, again, Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart and do it with great diligence knowing that from it flow the springs of life. In other words, your heart can be stony, it can be hard, and it, the seed can't penetrate. It just doesn't make any sense. You, you don't have ears to hear. Why? It's a heart condition. It's the center of you is off kilter. Now, if this is making any sense to you, or if, there's, if this is eliciting in you something of what we would call repentance, a desire to change, well, the Word has done its work this morning. Not me. The Word has done its beautiful work and brought you to a place where God can come in and not just reform your heart. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week. Not just a reformation of your heart, but He's actually going to give you an entirely new heart. Now, again, what is fascinating here is that sin has absolutely left its mark on the human heart. Remember what we saw in Jeremiah's word. It's as if it's engraved with a diamond point. Okay, so we are all subject to a failed heart. We are in, all of us, spiritually speaking, are in cardiac arrest. 
until Jesus comes onto the scene and the Holy Spirit come and begin to do their work in us. This is what Jesus offered us. You are having a massive heart attack right now. Your heart is hard. That's exactly happened. I mean, now that science helps us understand, you've got plaque built up. Your heart's trying to pump. It can't. And uh, I mean, you are in a death spiral with your heart. Now, you may be offended by that. But you know what? The Bible says the, the gospel, and this is the first part of the gospel, we have sinned, all of us, and fall short of the glory of God. This is step number one. There has to be an admittance that I've got a fallen heart, that I have a, a heart that is in cardiac arrest. And so when we understand that, we realize that sin is left, and again, engraved with a diamond point. I mean, sin is all over our spiritual center. If you start with we're basically good people, you, you just cannot, the gospel will never make any sense. Jesus' crucifixion, his death on the cross vicariously for us, will never make any sense to you. You will distance yourself. You know, you may be part of a church. You may use the Bible to help with biblical principles about marriage and relationships and all that. But if you start from the wrong beginning, if the foundation is wrong and you believe that the heart is generally good and that, that the bent of man is generally good, you will never understand the gospel. So this week, I, 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 this is the foundation, and I've given you quite a bit of scripture here. The center of us, pre-being born again, before Christ, B.C., the Bible is clear, deceitful, deceptively wicked. We can't even understand our own heart. Now, we can look around in culture right now, and I'm going to give you some examples next week of how men have tried to avoid this and recreate utopias and everything else and psychoanalysis and every other thing and medicinally and we do everything we can to avoid the what we all know i believe this to be true church of the red door what we all know intuitively is that there is something radically wrong on the inside of me and even after christ we recognize the the dual nature now at least we have a new heart that we can eventually try to be led by the Spirit in. But we also have this other thing pulling at us, tugging at us. Again, sometimes referred to as the flesh. It's not just talking about my skin or my bones. It's talking about this bent towards sin. We all have the remnants of that sin having been engraved with a, with a diamond point onto our heart. Jeremiah speaks exactly God's heart here deceitfully wicked who can know it so these are some things we know in closing today we're desperately sick okay and after jesus again we have the nature but before jesus we are in cardiac arrest number two so sick in fact that we cannot we cannot even plumb the depths of the deceit of our own hearts i see this all the time you see, I, I'll never forget, uh, who's the guy, Ted, uh, Bun not Bunyan, but anyway, the, the guy who was a sexual predator and a rapist, and, and I remember it was, uh, I believe it was James Dobson who went in and interviewed him in prison before he was executed, if I remember the story properly. Uh, and I remember him talking about just the depths of his own depravity. And that interview was very, it was gripping. It was like, oh, the 
horror of a person like that. And yet, I look at some of the thoughts that I've had in my life. I look at some of the actions that I've taken based upon those thoughts, the struggles that I still have from this diamond point being engraved on my center. And I do realize, and I acquiesce with God's word here, my heart, I have a new heart now, and we'll talk about that next week, but I have a new heart, but my fallen bent is profound. And we constantly try to lift up people and say, look, there's only one that can be lifted up as being perfect, and that's Jesus. Now, some of us are adopting his ways. The Spirit is having his work in us, and we begin to see reflections. I see it in many of you. I see reflections of Jesus, but in a, in a general sense, we still have, our fallen nature has a bent towards protecting ourselves and anger and hostility and all kinds of vice. I think intuitively we know that. And who can really even be able to plumb the depths of our own hearts? And then lastly, the Lord does know. He does know. He, he sees our heart. And yet, and this is the beauty, and this is the culmination of this morning. Yeah, he sees your heart. But guess what? He's, he loves you in spite of your heart. You know, you may be out there this morning and you've never thought about Jesus. You've thought about, ah, religion and, ah, you know, who can believe all that stuff? And, uh, but somehow you know, you say, you know what? That's right. I, I see my own bent. And it's, it's, it's directed towards perversity in many ways. But he, he could still love me. You know, the Bible simply says that God so loved the world everybody in it, every nation, every tongue, that he sent his own son. That whoever would believe into him would never perish, but would have eternal life. Now, what that doesn't fully unpack is that in the new birth, he gives you a new heart and puts a new spirit in you, as we'll see the prophets talking about hundreds of years in advance of Jesus. So I just want you to know this morning, if you feel cut to the quick, like that's me, my heart is deceitfully wicked, right? I, I, I've tried to buy into that, I'm good, but I, I can't pretend that anymore. It just isn't. Then there is extraordinary news for you, and the news is that God still loves you and he's inviting you back through the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your grace I thank you for even preparing my own heart to be able to hear the word. I know that was a sovereign act of your supernatural grace. And Lord, you may be doing that right now to somebody that's even just watching online or picking this up or maybe somebody in our family or a family member or a friend who just happened to be watching this. And, and you're saying, you know what, Lord, it's right. I have a bent towards evil. I have a hard heart. I My passions are not not always good. I mean, I've got some good things in my life, but generally speaking, I'm, I'm all about me. I, I, I believe your word that my heart is really sick and that I'm in cardiac arrest. Would you save me? And maybe you want to pray that. Just tell the Lord. And I believe into Jesus and I want to understand Jesus and I want to follow Jesus now. And I want this new birth. I want this new heart. And if you prayed that, I'll just tell you right now, contact us. Amen. I pray, contact us. Let us know that you prayed that prayer. We'll pray with you. We'll, we'll send you resources. We'll do whatever we can to help you in your next steps of recovering from this heart attack. And uh, that's the message of the gospel. 
Why are you so passionate about all this, Jeff? Because it's true. It answers all the questions that, again, psychoanalysis and everything can't answer. It answers the question. It's hard news to hear, but there's glorious news on the other side of accepting that bad news. So uh, anyway, we love you. Uh, have a wonderful week. I think we're going to close in another worship song for those who are able to uh, be live. Uh, this won't be on the YouTube version. And I think many of you are starting to understand a little bit of how that's operating. So uh, anyway, we love you. Can't wait to be with you next week as we get into this a little deeper. And uh, there's some good news coming uh, in front of us. All right. Have a great week. Uh, we all